the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. This part about peace I leave with you, and he contrasts it with the world peace. He says, there's a peace that I give you, and then there's this kind of uh, peace that the world offers that isn't real, it isn't lasting, it isn't genuine. And Jesus says here, there's a distinction between what the world offers and what I offer you. And the only real true peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, is the peace of Jesus Christ. We need the peace of Jesus Christ. Fear dominates many people's lives today. It fills their thoughts and takes over their joy. It can be all-consuming. Yet, as a believer, you have a precious gift, the peace of God. Today, Pastor Gary will teach about this peace and how it can eliminate fear. God isn't the God of fear. It isn't something He gives you to keep you on alert. No, instead, He tells you in His Word to not be fearful. You need to recognize your fear, give it to God, and pray for His peace, which is greater than anything this world can offer. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 14, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We left off uh, last week with the section, um, John 14, verses 15 through 21, where Jesus speaks about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to kind of recap that a little bit as we get a running start. If you're here with us last week, we talked about the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus uses three different prepositions to describe the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. We talked, we talked last week from verse 17 about how Jesus says, um, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. There's the one preposition, and will be, shall be in you. We talked about how the width of the Holy Spirit is when he draws us to relationship with Jesus. Nobody comes to that profession of faith except that the Holy Spirit begins to draw you. That's what happened for me 37 years ago. That's what happens for you when you come to know Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that begins to work to bring us into relationship with him. And then the Holy Spirit comes in us when we have a 
personal relationship with Jesus. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is not separated, so then he comes in us. But then there's this third aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then we went to Acts 1.8 for that, where Jesus talks about tarry in Jerusalem, wait for the gift my Father promised until you are filled with power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you or upon you, King James Version says, and that is when he fills us with his fullness. So There's a wonderful aspect of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is going to kind of piggyback on that idea as we continue in chapter 14, because now he's going to talk about, in receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fruit and the fruitfulness of that relationship with him. So we left off here at verse 22. Uh, when it says this, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, another, the other Judas who was a disciple, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Now, let, let me back up so we get the reason that he's asking the question. In verse 19, Jesus said, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. So he's pointed to the fact he's going to go to the cross and then he's going to ascend, but those who know him will see him again. So he says, you know, the world doesn't see me and won't see me if they don't know me, but you know me, so therefore you will see me again. Well, then Judas asked, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. He says, "All, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Notice that part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to teach us and to remind us of the things that Jesus said. And by the way, you'll notice later when we get through the the rest of these chapters, because 14, 15, 16, and 17, if you have a red-letter Bible, these are all the words of Jesus. This is what is called the Upper Room Discourse. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. He's giving his final parting words to his disciples. One of the things he says about the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit will testify of me, Jesus says. And in testifying of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the one who will guide us, remind us of the words of Jesus, glorify Jesus. And so even Jesus says, this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. When the counselor comes, the Father will send in my name, teaching you all things, reminding you of everything I have said to you. And then in verse 27 here, he says, peace I leave with you. This is a great verse. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and Do not be afraid. Somebody once counted that that phrase, fear not or be not afraid, appears 365 times in the Bible. That's one do not fear for every day of your life. Because most of us are given to fear. Fear is an emotion that is not of the Lord. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The Bible says perfect love drives out fear. But all of us, to some degree or another, will wrestle with some sort of fear in our lives. And that emotion is something we have to continually give to God. The more of Him, perfect love drives out fear. But we are not to be bound by fear, motivated by fear, governed by fear. And so if you if you feel like you're in a place of fear, ask the Lord to give you the peace that only comes from Him. And He says here, peace 
I give unto you. Peace I leave with you. He says, King James says, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Now this is interesting because Jesus makes some distinctions here between what he offers and what the world offers. Jesus here speaks of, in terms of the contrast of two worlds, and actually up earlier uh, in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 17, remember when he speaks about the Holy Spirit, he says, the world cannot accept him, but you know him, for he is with you and shall be in you. And he talks about the distinction, the world without Jesus cannot know the Holy Spirit, the world with Jesus knows the Holy Spirit. He also said uh, back in verse 19, this is the question that Judas raised when Jesus said, before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. So the world without Jesus won't see him, the world that knows Jesus will see him. And then we have here, this part about peace I leave with you, and he contrasts it with the world peace. He says, there's a peace that I give you, and then there's this kind of uh, peace that the world offers that isn't real, it isn't lasting, it isn't genuine. And Jesus says here, there's a distinction between what the world offers and what I offer you. And the only real true peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, is the peace of Jesus Christ. We need the peace of Jesus Christ. And so if you're given to fear, if fear has a place in your life, pray and ask. And just, just pray this, this verse. Jesus, you know, you, you said you offer me peace that the world can't give, and I need the peace that only you can give, and I need you to drive out the fear, and you tell me not to be afraid. So Lord, fill my heart and my life with your peace. And get up every day, pray that prayer, whatever it takes to continue to fight the battle of fear that rages in many people's lives. So he offers us peace that the world can't possibly give us. Verse 28, he says, you heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Why would he say that? The Father is greater than I. This becomes a controversial verse because I thought Jesus is God and God is Jesus and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one. Why then would Jesus say the Father is greater than I? Please note, Jesus made it clear in John 10, when we were back here in chapter 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Uh, Philip said, show, show us the Father and that'll be good enough. And he said, Philip, have I been with you so long and you would ask me to show you the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So Jesus makes it clear that He is God. So what does He mean when He says here, for the Father is greater than I? Well, the difference is that He's not talking of His nature. He's talking of His condition. The nature of Jesus is one with God, co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father. But His condition is less in that Jesus is in His humanity here. Jesus is about to suffer on the cross. So in his humanity and in his suffering, the Father is greater. It's not a statement of the nature. It's a statement of condition. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you better be glad I'm going away because I'm going away that the Holy Spirit might come, but also I'm going away so that there might be the ultimate redemption of mankind. And in that redemption, then I'm going to get a glorified body. You're going to get a glorified body and the eternity of mankind is dependent on me going away. You better be glad I'm going away. But he makes a statement here about the condition, not the nature. 
In verse 29, he says, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer for the prince of this world, underline that, the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So he makes this reference here in verse 32 the prince of this world. He will also use that phrase again in chapter 16, verse 11. If you want to jot that in the margin of your Bible, chapter 16, verse 11 uses the same phrase. He says, uh, because the prince of this world now stands condemned in chapter 16, verse 11. The prince of this world is a reference to Satan. When Satan rebelled, you know, originally his given name was Lucifer. He is in heaven as a mighty angel of God, perhaps even of the angelic order where he might have even been uh, an archangel. Uh, he was certainly responsible. When you look at Isaiah and you look at Ezekiel, it, it certainly makes reference that he was responsible for worship and an aspect of the worship in heaven. Uh, the Bible even describes his appearance as being very charming and very beautiful. But pride filled his heart, and he wanted to ascend the throne and be like God. So when he rebelled, he was kicked out of heaven. When he was kicked out of heaven, he was given the earth as his limited domain. And thus he is referred to by Jesus here as the prince of this world. Because Satan, though unseen, uh, has limited influence in our world. And the angels that rebelled with Lucifer, with Satan are now what we would call demons. They are also part of that unseen realm. And there's a battle that rages. And these demonic forces, the spiritual forces of evil, is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some of the battles of our lives are not the person sitting next to you. Amen? All right? Some of you came in here thinking the battle of your life was the person next to you, but it's it's not always the person next to you. Because sometimes we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not always a human thing, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there's this there's this demonic principality that is at work in the unseen realm. And it is being waged around you and over you. But Jesus here says, well, the prince of this world is coming. Okay, The enemy, Satan, has always tried to do whatever he can to thwart the redemptive plan of God. But he has never and shall never prevail, and that's why Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, because all the spiritual forces of evil and darkness will not prevail because of the cross. But Jesus here says the prince of the world is coming. I mean, Satan is going to do whatever he can to try to hinder the cross, he says, but he has no hold on me. And I pray that for all of us. Satan has, is to have no hold on us because of the power of the cross. So greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we need to stand in the grace and in the strength of the Lord Jesus because Satan has no hold on us. And then he adds there, but the world must learn that I that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. He says, you know, the world has to learn here that I have to go to the cross. It's, it's part of the redemptive plan, and this is, this is the order 
that I've been given, and so I go as a matter of love and as a matter of obedience, and the world will understand that I do this because I love my Father and I do exactly what He has commanded me to do. And then chapter 14 ends here by Him saying, Come, now let us leave. So they're going to leave the upper room there. They're in the city of Jerusalem. And they're about to make their way over to the Mount of Olives, which is just on the eastern slope of the city of Jerusalem. And it'll be there that Judas will come and betray him with a kiss. And so you have to imagine now, dinner's finished. Passover meal is done. Jesus has finished washing their feet. He's given them this discourse here about the Holy Spirit, about love. And he's going to continue in this theme. But now they're leaving. And as they leave, history tells us that uh, some of the gates of the ancient city of Jerusalem had carved, etched within the wooden, uh, within the wood of the gates, pictures of vines and, and grapes. Because in Isaiah, God refers to Israel as my vine. And so the vine, the grapevine, was often indicative, a portrayal of the nation of Israel. And, and you have to kind of imagine now, they're leaving this upper room, they're passing through the gates, going over the Kidron Valley into the Mount of Olives. Perhaps they see, etched within the gates, the image of the vine and the, and the grapes. Whether they see it or not, you know, it is believed, some scholars believe that Jesus is using that to, to now continue in his teaching with them. But regardless of whether they see it or not, Jesus is going to use this whole analogy about a vine and us as the branches. But he starts out here in verse 1 of chapter 15, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, if you've been with us through our study of the Gospel of John, we've been taking notes that there are seven times total that Jesus makes I am statements. Uh, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the seventh of the seven I am statements. This is the last of the I am statements when Jesus says, I am the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. If you glance down at verse five real quickly, he says again, I am the vine. And then he makes the analogy about us. He says, and you are the branches. So I want us to just take a, take a look here in chapter 15, the first few verses at least, at this analogy of the vine and the branches. And the first thing that we need to understand from his statement here, that he is the vine and we are the branches, means that we are to have a complete dependence on him. He is to be the source of our life. You know, you can't, you can't be a branch to, to something, in this case, the branch of a vine, without recognizing that the vine is the very source and sustenance of your life as a branch. You know, there, there are a lot of things that can function somewhat independently. And a lot of times in the Bible, in the New Testament especially, there's this comparison between Jesus being the good shepherd and we being the sheep. Uh, but you know, for that analogy, it serves well in and of itself, except in the regard of complete dependence. Because, you know, a sheep, a sheep they, can, they can survive for a little bit without a shepherd. But when he, when he makes this analogy, he says, okay, I'm the vine and you're the branches. The idea here is you are completely dependent on me. Your source for life is completely dependent upon your connection with me. The idea of a branch, a branch is only as good as it is connected to the source from which it draws all of its 
substance. And so that's the first thing that he's saying here. And that's the way we need to see Jesus. Listen, folks, Jesus is not just something we add to are already what we think is complete life. It's like, okay, well, I, you know, I like, but I just, I want to be able to go to heaven. So I'm going to kind of fold Jesus into everything I'm already doing or everything that I already am. You know, like, like he's a flavor of the month to your latte. All right. You know, he's not, that's not what he is. Jesus is not just to be added to our life. He is our life. He is completely our source of everything. And, and if, and if you simply look at him as something that you're going to attach to your life, then you don't understand. We are attached to him and he therefore is the source of our life. It's a branch and a vine here. And then he goes on here in verse two and it says that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more Fruitful. Second point, if you're taking notes, is that Jesus longs for us to be fruitful and will do what he needs to make us that way. He wants us to be fruitful and he will do what he needs to make us that way. Now, before we talk about what he actually does to make us fruitful, let's define fruitfulness a little bit. Galatians 5.22. Paul, when he writes his letter to the Galatians, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to imagine it as one cluster that we are to all be about. It isn't subjective. It is to be the whole sum total of the fruit of the Spirit. And so Paul makes a list in Galatians 5.22. So you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read the list so that that we can understand examples of the fruitfulness that, that the Lord Jesus wants in our lives. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now think about those aspects in your life. Did you do a little personal inventory as I was reading through the list? I'm going to say it again. I want you to think to yourself, now how much of these things do I have? And where is some shriveled fruit? All right? Love, joy, peace, patience. Now, don't elbow anybody, okay? This is for you and you alone. This is between you and the Lord. Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, Jesus wants us to be fruitful. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches, my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it'll be even more fruitful. So he wants us to be more fruitful. Now, a word of caution here, because sometimes people can read this and it sounds uh, pretty drastic, doesn't it? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And now some of you read that and you thought, I'm not very fruitful, he's going to cut me off, I'm going to hell. That's not what it means. So calm down, it's okay. In fact, it's interesting here, the two words that Jesus uses here talks about cutting off and pruning. If you have a King James Bible, it doesn't say cut off, it says takes away. New King James also says takes away. And if you have a New King James Bible, they do a good job of footnoting the better translation of the literal Greek. The literal Greek is the word eiro, and it means literally to lift up. 
Here's what would happen in ancient Israel when they would have grape vineyards. Loudoun County is kind of, uh, you know, vineyard country. And if you drive around Loudoun County much, you can see vineyards all over the place. And there are these well-groomed, manicured, you know, grape, grape vines and vineyards that are usually, um, you know, up off the ground on some kind of stakes or or lattice work or something to keep them up off the ground. Not in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, they would plant the vineyards and they would just simply go across the ground. They wouldn't, they wouldn't stake them up until they needed to be made more fruitful. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know